let's stand together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in honor of the reading of God's Word, verses 4 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10. So the Bible says this, as Paul is talking to and writing the Thessalonian believers. And he has some very specific things to say to them um, about some things, specifically and particularly, I should say, about uh, their view of the coming of Christ. And he's going to deal with that uh, as we move forward. But, boy, he just he lays out some things about who they are. And we can look at that as a model of what we ought to be as a church. So picking up in verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And now, in this context, the, the concept of being chosen is not necessarily talking about chosen for salvation, but he's talking about he's chosen you, the church at Thessalonica. This local fellowship, he's saying, he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the holy spirit and deep conviction you know how we lived among you for your sake you became imitators of us and of the lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the holy spirit and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your, and your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Then he makes mention here. He's kind of setting them up for what he's going to talk about later. And he says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Father, as we shine a light, a scriptural light, a biblical light, on what we are as a church and what local churches should be, but we want to focus in on who we are. This is who we're responsible for primarily. May we learn today. And may we be inspired by Scripture. And would you use the foolishness of preaching to do what only you can do. To call us to repentance, to encourage us where we're serving you and where we're doing the right thing. To develop us even more as leaders and laity together. Help us to grow from what we are going to dive into this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So JBC, a biblical model. First of all, I want to look at what the Bible says here in this passage about the leadership about the leadership now when i say leadership i'm talking about paul and those who helped establish the work and even those who were pastoring in in that role we don't know who those folks were but we know that they had that leadership and and paul is referencing himself 
and uh, and I, be, I believe either Barnabas, uh, I believe it was Barnabas, um, as opposed to Mark, or or or, or I, I should say, Paul, and um, ah, I just just had a brain cramp, yeah, and Silas. That's that's the one I was thinking of. Silas. We're getting ready to say Paul and Saul, but I think they're the same one. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> but there is a leadership model here that we see, and it's a biblical model. I, I glean three things about those of us in spiritual leadership, what we should be doing and how we should be modeling our, our ministry. Number one, we in leadership, pastors and, and people who serve others, should serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should not serve out of our own intellect. And we should not be getting up here and leading you week in and week out, not just in our preaching and singing and so forth and so on, but in our service on the ground <clears throat> with you, not in our own ability and in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be demonstrated through us. And I've given you the example, and I think I did it last week, about how I hated as an elective in high school or in junior high taking a speech class and all my friends were taking a speech class because I thought that was the dumbest thing. Why would I want to waste my time taking a speech class when all I wanted to do in South Louisiana growing up was be a shrimper like my dad? I would never stand before people and speak ever. And that would never happen to me because I just wasn't gifted in that area. And it's just not something I was, uh, was going to ever do. So why would I waste my time doing it? But something happened in my life. The Lord intervened. And some of my friends in the last 10, 15 years who have kind of uh, reconnected with me through social media are like, you're a preacher? I'm like, I don't know how to take that. Clarify. <laughs> and I can point to the fact that just, just my very presence standing up here before you is an indication of the amazing power of God to transform somebody's life and change their life. Because I'll tell you, I can't do it in my own power. I know this will come as a shock to you, but for me personally, I am shocked. I would rather sit back and let my actions speak. Now, I'm not so shy around people that I'm comfortable with. And the only reason that I stand up here and do what I do and open up my life and share with you about the struggles that I have and how the Scripture is working in my life is because I'm called to it and because I know that God can use my weakness to help you and to strengthen me. And so leaders should serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if <laughs> listen, if you're a children's worker, my gosh, you always need the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're a parent, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you need the power of the Holy Spirit on Monday morning and just trying to get them to school without going to jail. You going to jail, that is. I hit a nerve with some of you, see? So, as leaders, 
have to serve power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say this. That's what separates us from the secular. I love to listen to sometimes secular leadership people. I love to listen to coaches. I try to learn things in press conferences, find out what leadership principles they're leading by. But that in and of itself will is, is hollow. We don't lead by Madison Avenue tactics. We lead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has to energize us. Sunday school teacher, when you're preparing your lesson, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to energize you and open you up so that you can be used of Him to teach the truth. The second thing is this. Leadership. We're to live, lead, and teach with deep conviction. Look at what the Word of God says in verse 5. It says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. If I'm going to follow somebody, I want them to believe what they're teaching me. I want them to live it out. I'm just not interested. You know, think about this. We're going to be watching tonight, a lot of us, it's like a national holiday, watching the Super Bowl. And then we're going to, a lot of us, a lot of people in America only watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. And some of them are going to be funny, and some are going to be disgusting, and some are not going to be very good, and whatever, whatever, and all of that. But I'll tell you, I often wondered this. The Hollywood stars and the movie stars that promote certain things that become pitch men or pitch women for certain products i always have a question do you use those products really you really wear them ugly sketchers i don't think so hey i'm sorry if you wear them but they might be comfortable but they're ugly and you say well one day you'll get to that point that's right that's right because the older i get about clothes, you know, people say, well, what, what, how do you choose your clothes? Whatever doesn't make me itch. And if it's ugly and it don't make me itch, guess what? I'm wearing it. <laughs> but you wonder if these people who promote things really believe it, really buy the product, really use the product. Let me tell you, it's, there should be no question about a spiritual leader about a christian leader about a pastor about a worship leader about a youth pastor about a sunday school teacher about anybody who's proclaiming the truth of the lord jesus christ we've got to lead and live and teach with deep conviction in other words our conviction comes from the truth of god's word now listen you don't have to agree with everything that i say but i'll tell you what at least you can say well you know what he believes the bible he stands on it and he preaches it And he tries to live it. And that brings me to the third thing about leadership. And that is this. In leadership, in a biblical model, our daily lives, in other words, our testimony, but our daily lives must match our teaching and preaching. It must match it. In verse 5, it says here, in the last part of verse 5, not only with deep conviction, but he goes, you know how we lived among you for your sake. 
We didn't just come preaching this high and mighty message and telling you what you should do, but we are taking what we're preaching to you and we're looking right back at us and we're taking the Word of God and we're applying it to our lives. In other words, that's what a true preacher, that's what a true pastor, that's what a teacher should be seeking to do. He should be looking in his daily life to apply the truth that he's teaching that everybody else should follow, and he should be doing everything that he can to live it out. Yeah. I can get up here all day and talk to you how patient is something good. You ought to be patient with other people. And yet, it would be wrong of me to be the person in a car on Monday morning for me maybe going to make a visit to the hospital for you trying to get to work and me getting ugly and mean and hateful with the people who are not driving right. It would be wrong for me to live my life that way. There was a church, and I'm just going to name it. I'm not trying to get around this thing. There was a church in Seattle, one of the fastest growing churches in America just a few years back called Mars Hill Church, and Mark Driscoll was the pastor, and it grew exponentially, and, and there were some good things about Mars Hill Church, and some good things that the church was founded on, but there was some rottenness in the leadership philosophy, and that was that the leader, the, particularly the pastor, didn't have to treat everyone like he was expecting people to treat him. And overnight, I'm not saying overnight, it took a while for it to happen, but, but when it all came to light, within a week of the pastor resigning, this church with multi-congregations all over the place folded up like a cheap suit in 2014 and no longer exists. And the damage that was done spiritually to so many people because the leadership Primarily the senior pastor, the teaching pastor, was not living out the proper testimonies and he was treating people like servants instead of him coming to serve. You say, boy, that's bold of you, pastor, to call him out. I, I've done a lot of research on that and he needs to repent. He's pastoring another church in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, but he needs to repent for what he did. <clears throat> so we need to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to live, lead, teach with deep conviction. We've got to believe it. And then our daily lives must match our teaching and preaching. Does that mean that pastors and leaders are perfect in their behavior? No, there's one who's perfect. As a matter of fact, we did a study about this on Wednesday night in our men's group about Paul, the Apostle Paul, saying of himself that he was the chief of sinners. And we, we had some good questions that were being asked by the men in the class. Like, now he was referring to his life before Christ, right? I said, no, he wasn't. He was referring to his current life. What are you talking about? The Apostle Paul saying that he was the chief of sinners? Yeah. Because here's what I believe. The closer you get to God, the more of the sin you see in your own life. 
I believe a legalistic leader sees more of the sin in everybody else's life and doesn't see it in his own life. But when you're growing in the Lord and you're walking in the Lord, the spotlight is shined upon your heart first. And Paul talks about that. So yes, leaders do sin. But here's what Paul said. He goes, so what can help me? He said, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now yes, as leaders, we're never going to be perfect and we should always point our people, not our people, but God's people, to Jesus. To Jesus. You come to church to worship Jesus. You come to hear a message from God regardless of who's preaching it. It's Jesus. This is not Brother Corey's church. This is Jesus' church. So that's the leadership. That's what we see here. That's the model. And pray for us that every day as we seek to live this out, that when we're wrong, that God will reveal it to us and we'll make it right. One pastor, I think it's Pastor Johnny Hunt, has always said for years, and he still says it to this day, if you want to pray for me, pray that I stay close to God and clean with Him. Because there's one thing I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of a lot of things. But there's one thing I'm really afraid of in life. And that's getting out of the will of God. That's scary. And getting out of the will of God in such a way that I would be blinded to my own sin. And I think the only way that can happen if I continually take progressive steps away from the Scripture, away from the truth, not applying these things to my life, on and on and on. You follow what I'm saying as a, as a leader? We take progressive steps to get away from it. And then all of a sudden, the God of this age blinds our minds and our hearts. We don't just fall off the cliff at any moment. We walk toward the cliff, and eventually, there you go. So what we need today in churches, not just for paid staff, we need strong leadership. This is the model that the Bible talks about. Live it out. All right, let's talk about the laity real quick. The laity, I want to give you four words. Four words. The first one is imitation. All right? Imitation. Put that up. There we go. Imitation. To follow, to model, to live what you hear and see from a biblical leadership. Or from biblical leadership. To follow, model, live what you hear and see from biblical leadership. Look at verse 6 and what the Bible says here. Paul says to them, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy. You became imitators of us. Is that arrogant to say imitate me? No, Paul said imitate me for I follow Christ. That's what he was saying. Y'all listen. The world is constantly propping up so-called people that we should admire and follow just because they can throw a football or dribble a basketball or do something like that. 
And that doesn't necessarily make those people imitatable. I don't know if that's a word, but I just, Larry would be right. I just made that one up. What we ought to do is imitate godly people. That's where the heroes are in life. If you've got a godly father that is doing his best to lead you, and you know his deficiencies, but yet, all in all, you know he's a godly man, be grateful for that. And rather than, rather than try to rebel against it, realize the valuable golden opportunity you have in life to have a father who actually loves the Lord and who's living it. Imitate him. It's worthy of imitation. If you have a godly mom doing the same thing, imitate her. If you have a leader somewhere in your life that's doing it right, I didn't say worship them, absolutely not. You worship Jesus. But if their life is consistent with, with the Word of God and with what they're teaching and preaching, it's not wrong to imitate godly living. It's right to imitate godly living. Follow and model. Live what you hear and see from a biblical leadership. But do it, do it the way God has made you. Don't try to copy somebody's personality. But if what you see in them is what the Bible teaches and you see them modeling it out. In other words, you see somebody who's been wronged and hurt, but yet they choose to forgive. They choose not to hold it. They choose to cancel the debt. They choose to to live whole lives spiritually rather than allow bitterness to come within them. Hey, get near that person. Find out how they got to that point in their life and follow them. It's worth imitating that. The pain that you will forfeit if you can get to that point. Find people that live the kind of life you want to live and and, and go go for it imitate it so imitation the second word is the word messy what does a biblical laity a biblical group of people look like the word messy true christians in the church welcome the word of god especially in suffering says here You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. I know some people who do not welcome the truth of God's Word in suffering. They're angry at God. They're mad at God. Why did God let my 110-year-old mother pass away? She's 110. I mean, you you understand where where I'm coming from with that? I'm not trying to make light. It still hurts. Your mother will always be your mother. It doesn't matter how old she is. You know what I'm saying? But there are people that, man, they try to find every excuse when suffering comes. I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians, and they get angry at God, and then they begin to act out and misbehave because something didn't go the way they thought it should go. And what Paul is saying is this, is that you welcome the message of the truth even when it didn't, quote, improve your circumstances or your life. You went through some suffering. But you welcome the message, the Word of God, 
And you did it with great joy in your heart. You didn't like what you were going through. But you wanted the truth of God's word. I'll tell you this, folks. When we're going through some difficult times in our lives, I know sometimes, <laughs> i put it to you this way, in a marriage relationship, there are times that, man, I'm wanting to kind of um, rummage through the rubble of what's going on in my life. And God usually uses somebody godly in my life, like my wife, to usually give me a scripture verse. And my first thought is, oh, you got to bring the Bible up now, don't you? In other words, I'm wanting to be miserable in the way I'm living, and I want you to agree with me. But instead, what she does is she counteracts my unbiblical mindset with biblical truth. And I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to accept the truth of what I just was given and apply it to my current situation. Remember what Paul said in Philippians. Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul basically came to this conclusion. As long as the gospel is preached and Jesus gets the glory, it doesn't matter what happens to me. That's what Paul's mindset was. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not there yet. I like my comfortable life. As younger people, you may, not, you may not realize this. You may think traveling is wonderful and all that, and it's good to go see some things. Penny and I are planning either this summer or next summer. We haven't figured it out yet, but we're wanting to go west and go see some amazing things, go to Yellowstone, go to um, the Black Hills and all of that. All right, travel. But the older you get, young people, listen to me, there's no bed like your bed at home. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And if you don't feel that way about your bed at home, go spend the money and go buy you one. Because you don't want to lay in it, man. There's nothing like it. Nothing like your spot. I like comfortability. Don't get me wrong. Like my bed at home. But. I need the Word of God sometimes the most is when I'm going through difficult times. And I need to receive God's Word with joy. And Paul reminded him, he said, you're a model. You know why you're a model? Because you received the Word of God in the midst of the sour times in your life, in the midst of the most difficult times, and you embraced the truth, even if it brought conviction to your own heart and life. So that's, that's, that's the biblical model. So imitation, the message, the third word is faith. The third word is faith. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Our faith should be well known to believers and unbelievers. Listen, we can't be in a community here and people not know what we believe. If they don't know what we believe, what are we doing? 
What are we doing outside of these walls? People should know what we believe. I was invited to speak at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Miss Kelly Harris has been the head of it for years at Newberry, and there were 40-something students that came to it the other morning. It's been a few weeks since they had it, and, uh, you know, and it had been a while since I, since I spoke at it. And, um, and, you know, and I thought about this. Now, it's not a during-school event. It's prior to school starting. There's no compulsion to come. You come if you want to come. But it doesn't get past me that I was in a public school preaching the gospel, drawing on the board, not for arithmetic and all of those things, which are important. We need to get back to that in school, by the way. But, 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 but I was drawing spiritual things and talking about the hole in your soul and about who's on the throne of your life. And I had a chance to preach the gospel. And I didn't sugarcoat it just because they're teenagers and they might not, might not like me. I don't care. I got gray hair. It doesn't matter to me anymore. We love them. We care for them. We want them to, to, to be engaged with the truth. Yes, we don't go there to be offensive on purpose, but the truth offends. It offended me when I was their age, and I told them that. So our faith should be well known. And this church, it was well known. It rang out in their area. And, it, and then he says it's become known everywhere, everywhere. We shouldn't be ashamed to be a church, right? When, when we uh, have Vacation Bible School, we don't try to, try to disguise Vacation Bible School and call it something else and, and make it look like a Hollywood play or something. Now, we, we do the stage up, and, 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 and we have a great time with it, and it's, there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. But listen, I always say to the parents, thank you for bringing your child here so we can teach them about Jesus. We're not here just to be a babysitter. Now, here's the thing. You want to bring your child here for five days or six days, however long we have it, when we have vacation Bible school, and you and your spouse want to go do something else, and you're just bringing them to drop them off here, we're thankful that you're bringing them to drop them off here. But we're not just babysitting them. I'll tell you what we're doing. We're teaching them about Jesus Christ, the creator of the world. So your faith, our faith as a church, should be well known to believers and unbelievers. I'm not saying we should be obnoxious, but it should be known. I met a guy the other day at the boat ramp. I, now, I get a kick out of this. I don't try to hide what I do for a living. I really don't. But a lot of times when you get to talking to people, they don't let you tell them what you do. They start, and before they get going, man, Every cuss word is coming out and this and that and, you know, and, you know, oh, you think that's a big fit, and they're going on and on and on. And, uh, hey, man, so hi, what do what, you do for a living? Oh, I'm in the construction, I do this. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you do, Corey? <laughs> I'm in the people business. I try to persuade people. What, what, you're in sales? And I'm not ashamed, but I know what's getting ready to happen when I tell them what I really do. I'm dropping a bomb, and I'll never hear another cuss, cuss word again. <laughs> I'm a pastor. 
oh, sorry, Pastor. They, and it, their body language changes, like they back off of me, like I'm going to strike them. So I go, <laughs> it just cracks me up when we get in a situation like that. They really don't know who I am, but they, they'll find out soon enough. And, and not that I'm somebody special, but it, it, what I'm saying is that, you know, People know us. People know us long enough. They'll know. They'll know. And they should know that we love Jesus. We, we, we believe the Bible. But we love our community. And we don't care what you believe and who you are. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to help you. Give a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus said. Uh, give a cup, cup of cold water to somebody. You're doing it in my name. The last word is this, laity. Here's, here's what we as a church, people should be known for. Transformation. Transformation. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. <laughs> to serve the living and true God. It should be obvious that we as Christians have turned to God from idolatry. A couple of weeks ago, I did a series on biblical sexuality, a three-part series, and Romans 1 talks about idolatry. It should be obvious to everyone, our transformation, that we don't idolize the human body. Yeah. We don't never ceases to amaze me. You know, I know Tom Brady. What is he, 85 years old playing in the NFL? 44. He needs to stay retired, by the way. Actually, the Saints can beat him a lot. They beat him 9 to nothing this year. They anyway, okay, we'll get out of there. But Tom Brady, so they call it the Brady way. He drinks like this green um, protein shake. I'm all for protein shake, but mine ain't going to be green. Very berry, but not green. We're not putting no seaweed in there. You know, kale, all of that. No, we're not putting any of that stuff in there. Now, Tom Brady is an amazing study when you think about the level in which he plays the hardest position on the planet and to be so, so successful. But I want to tell you something. He might be 44 or whatever he is, and if he lives long enough, he's going to look like the rest of us. It's coming. He won't be able to get rid of the chicken neck. No matter how many green things he eats, it's coming. He might be in great health at 80, but he's still going to be 80, and his body's going to be breaking down. The point that I'm making is that too many people idolize the human body, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. 
And because of that, they get the recompense, the Bible says, the penalty of their error within themselves, which is due. The Bible says that bodily exercise profits little. It didn't say it didn't profit at all. It profits. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just delaying the inevitable. might make you feel better and help you live out a better life and give you a few more years on this earth. And it's all good stuff. We're not against that. But we don't worship those things. It should be obvious that we as Christians have turned to God from idolatry. We don't worship our finances. We don't worship movie stars. We don't worship athletes. We don't worship the government. We don't bow down at their feet. We're not into idolatry. We worship Jesus. And it's transformed us from the inside called transformation see religion tries to change a man or a woman from the outside going in let's clean you up on the outside make you look presentable to the world make you look presentable to what human beings you know i've never understood this you know when you say well you need to dress your best to go to church because god deserves the best who came up with the idea that you needed a noose around your neck to be dressed up for a man. A tie. I've always felt when I wore a tie years ago that I was always choking. I was just two seconds away from, from death. Where is that in the Bible? Well, you ought to give them your best. And they say, well, if you, if you are uh, invited to the White House or you are invited to go before Queen Elizabeth, you would dress your best. Oh, I, would, I would dress up, absolutely. Well, why don't you do that to come to church? See, I don't have a relationship with them jokers, but I have a relationship with Jesus, and he knows me inside and out, and I don't have to impress him or act a certain way. That's what transformation does. It's from the inside out. So, so religion tries to clean you up on the outside, make you look good, make you presentable. And Jesus said that that's what the Pharisees were. They were like whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed tombs. If you've ever been to Louisiana, if you've ever gone to New Orleans, if you've ever gone to that area in, in South Louisiana, you know that everybody's buried for the most part above ground because the water table is so high. And a lot of the old graves before the mausoleums came, came into, in, into practice uh, the old graves, like my old great-great-grandparents' graves, you know, were, were, were the, the, the white cement graves, and you painted them with a white chalky paste. And so I got it early on when I first became a Christian and read that scripture where Jesus said about the Pharisees, they're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful and ornate on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones. See, that's religion. But biblical Christianity, which is a relationship, starts from the inside and then it, it affects the outside. So God comes within your heart and he, he takes up residency and he changes you. He changes everything about you. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now that you're a new person on the inside, and then you begin to change. It's called transformation. And it should be obvious that we as Christians have turned to God from idolatry. <laughs> I've always had a problem since I've become a Christian with this. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. George Strait, the king of country music. Arnold Palmer, the king of golf. I'm not saying anything about those people. But there's nobody that should be a king in our life except Jesus. Not a rock star, not a country music personality, not an athlete, a golfer, a football player, an LSU player, an a, a, a UF player. Uh-uh. No. Jesus has transformed my life, and he's the king that I serve. As a matter of fact, he is the king of kings. I end with this. I remember <clears throat> there was a big steel hull shrimp boat when I was a kid that was in what we called Bayou Lafourche, Louisiana. It was a white boat with green painting and trim. Beautiful, beautiful boat. There were boats like that. There was one called the Captain Emery that my dad eventually worked on at one time. Just a big, big, big boats. And I remember one of the boats that was just down the bayou from where I lived, where it was docked. It was named the King of Kings. And as a kid, I thought, that was the dumbest thing. What does that mean? What is that? King of Kings. What? I mean, who thinks of stupid stuff like that? And I asked my, my, my mom and dad one time. And they explained to me what they thought it meant, and they were, they were right, that it's referencing Jesus. Okay, no big deal. You know why? Because he wasn't the king of my heart. But let me tell you, after I got saved, I thought it was the greatest name you could ever give a shrimp boat. Honoring the king of kings. Biblical model, JBC. People have been telling me, Pastor, we're afraid you're going to fall on your face if you step down from there. So you go down the steps. Biblical model. Leadership. The Bible tells us. Laity. The Bible tells us. How do we stack up? I'm going to tell you, I see. You know why this message was easy for me to preach today? Because I see that model in us. I see a lot of it. Is there room for growth? Absolutely. Now, I'm harsher on the leadership side because that involves me personally. And I've got a lot of growing to do. And that's the other thing. We're going to talk about that next week. How can a church and a pastor stay together for years? And how can they be effective in their ministry, in their community? And the key is both of them have to keep growing in the Lord Jesus. And if they do that, it's limitless.
until God calls everybody home. I saw something that someone posted this week, a pastor, and I could probably add, I'm sure he could too, about 200 things to this list, but he gave eight things, he goes, about your local church. This is why we're important, y'all. This is why the church family is important. This is why you need a church family. This is why I need a church family. This is why we should preach stuff like this. Are we measuring up to the biblical model? Because this is how important it is. Your local church, he says, his name is Jonathan Hayashi. He says, number one, your local church teaches you truth, confronts your sin, accepts you as family, holds you accountable, aids your sanctification, helps you to grow, keeps you God-focused, provides gospel fellowship, helps you profess your faith. Now, these are the eight things that he posted. I say amen to all of them. And there's so many more that we can add to it. That's why this is important. Now, I end with this, I promise you. If you or a guest, you're thinking about, do I want to be a part of this church? Can I be a part of the church? Some of you have been visiting for a while. Um, I hope last week's message, this week's message, helps you to see where we're going, what we want to be, the model we want to live, lift up. And it's a biblical model. The church is organic. It should never be um, um, corporate. It's organic, meaning (laughs) it's real. It's full of imperfect people who serve a perfect Savior. It has leaders who are giving it their best, but they should never be worshipped. Should never even come close to that. And if their behavior is good, and honorable and godly, you imitate that behavior because it's good, honorable, and godly and biblical. Good to follow the biblical model. And in this day of flashiness, corporateness, so-called perfection we want to be real organic and a biblical model if you want to be a part of that we invite you to come be a part of that you will be accepted as new family and you will be loved and treated with great respect You say, is this church a clique? Yeah, we're the Christian clique. And there are millions of us throughout the world. No, it's not a clique, it's a family. Well, you gravitate more to people who have your interest and do things. Yeah, that's a natural thing. It doesn't make it a clique, but yeah. But know this. You'll be joining an imperfect people who serves a perfect Savior. And we want to grow. 
We want to reach our community for Christ. We want to continue to have the biblical model. And we'd love to have you aboard if that's where the Lord is leading you. If you've never given your heart to Christ today, you can be transformed like so many of us here. He changed us from the inside out. And made us brand new in His mercies are new every day. And church, you want to come to this altar and pray and seek the Lord and say, God, you know, pray for our leadership. There's one thing I can ask you to do. Pray for us. Pray for God's power and strength. Pray for our holiness. Pray for your fellow family members that we model the biblical model. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word. And as we take a deep dive into what it means to be a biblical church, as we look at the Thessalonian believers, we see so much to be admired, so much to to imitate, so much to follow. May it be said of JBC that we model the biblical model. Not so we can get any praise, but so that people can easily or more easily see Jesus in us and glorify Him. All I want to do, Lord, is faithfully live out the life You've called me to live and finish the race and it would be my ultimate dream one day to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know if you'll say that about me, Lord, but I, I want that. And I want it for you because of what you've done for me. And may that be true of all of us. Thank you for what you've given us. I pray for strength and courage, conviction, repentance, and restoration to take place. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our worship team leads us in a song of invitation, this is your time to respond. This is a time for you to worship. Maybe this is a time for you to bow. However God is leading you, you let the Holy Spirit lead you.